Uh, good morning. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We are a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We are compelling in casual ways that being a community. Amen? Amen. All right. I think the, 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 the rain is like sucking some of the energy out of you. You're not sure. It's okay to be happy and energetic on a Sunday morning. Uh, hey, we got ushers coming down the aisles with uh, Bibles and outlines if you want to follow along. Uh, everything will be up on the screen, but you, you can get a pen from them as well if you want to write some things down. Uh, hopefully, there'll be some things worth writing down. Uh, and then if you have a prayer request, something that you'd like for us to pray for as a church, uh, there you have prayer request cards. You can get one of them from them, uh, and then drop it in the offering plate at the end, and then we can uh, ask God for whatever you're worried about, uh, or thank Him, maybe even, for something that He answered, and then our staff and our prayer team uh, will pray for you. So, uh, let's get started. Second Corinthians chapter 5, you know, a uh, little, little, little secret. Uh, I was going to be gone this weekend. I had I had thought about going on a little little vacation, and I was very uh, distraught because it was chapter five, and I was going to miss. Someone else was going to do chapter five, and I, I was I was a little bit struggling with that because I love chapter five. It's one of my favorite passages. Did a paper on it. Uh, in seminary, uh, towards the end, I'll explain that when we get there. Uh, but Second Corinthians chapter five is just a great uh, little section uh, of Paul's letter to the church in, in Corinth, uh, and trying to get them uh, not just back on track, but up to speed. Back on track would be maybe we've solved some problems and we're kind of where we're supposed to be again. Finally, up to speed is a whole different feel, right? We're moving at the pace we could be. Uh, that's kind of fun. Uh, and that's what he's trying to do with them. Before we get started, uh, let's pray and, um, and thank God for a couple things. Lord, uh, we do pray uh, that you would bless, and protect, provide uh, for those affected by uh, Hurricane Matthew. And then, Lord, for us, as, as we attempt to, to lean into that, wade into it, and uh, provide some help, Lord, uh, we, we pray that blessing would come from it. And so uh, for those working uh, both here in the States and in Haiti, we just, we just pray uh, your guidance, your strength. And then, Lord, for this morning, as uh, we're getting rain, we desperately need. We thank you for that. Uh, pray, Lord, that we would see we desperately need you even more. And so we thank you for the time that we've set aside this morning to come be a part of you, sing to you, be around people that love you. And then look at your word, what you've had to say to uh, people for many generations. Pray, Lord, that this time would be dedicated to you, to our love and faith in you. And that, Lord, we walk out of here uh, better prepared uh, to know you and to love others. And so, Father, we pray uh, our time to that end. In your son's name we pray it. Amen. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 1. Uh, here we go. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Uh, Paul's kind of continuing his, his letter. You know, his letter wasn't broken into chapters, right? Uh, 
And so what's he referencing here in this first sentence? Uh, none other than what he talked about in the last chapter. And, and we kind of joked around two weeks ago. I said, there's a little phrase I want you to start using next this week. I want to, three times a day, as best you can. I want you to use the phrase God's economy. You guys all laughed about it in the whole thing. Some, the four of you did it, I think. Uh, last week, we, we uh, were introduced to a little phrase that... that um, uh, Paul uses, uh, Gino called me up, he said, hey, I used the phrase. You know, Gino was here last week, told, told us about his, his church out in Central Valley and how that's going. We saw some slides. You missed it? You missed it. Sorry. Uh, but he calls me up, he said, I used, uh, I used the phrase. My wife and I were talking about it some, and I said, don't worry, this is only light, momentary affliction, right? Uh, last chapter, they talked about this idea that uh, we go through things, they feel uh, severe, they feel difficult, they, they feel maybe hopeless. Uh, and Paul reminds us in the last chapter, yeah, you are physically in your body, you're going to go through some things. Uh, in life, experientially, you're going to go through some things. But they are temporal, and we look to the things that are eternal. Uh, not the things seen, but the things unseen. And then he continues by saying, yes, your tent, this tent that you have, what's your tent? I don't have a tent. I haven't been camping in a long time. No, it's your body. Okay, he's talking about your body. Yes, your your body, that's your earthly home. Yeah, it's going to be destroyed. If it is, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's speaking to no matter what happens physically in our life, it's going to end well. We're going to be doing much better eventually. Uh, so what can you put up with in the meantime? Kind of the idea that he's getting at. Verse 2, for the, in this tent we groan. You groan? Yeah, there's a nervous laughter there. <laughs> we groan about certain things. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Boy, you know, if everything was just great, right? We always long for great. We long for better. You know, it's, it's an innate part of your character as human to long for better. Because somewhere in there we know that better is coming. Better is supposed to, right? We're supposed to get to better, perfect, eternal heaven. Uh, we long for things to get better because we know we're on that same path. He says, hey, our tent's not working, but we're headed towards this heavenly dwelling. Verse 3, if indeed by putting it on, we may be, found, we be not found naked. Is he talking about clothing there? No, he's talking about this. Verse four, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He's saying not that we uh, discard the things of our life and our physical world that we're going through here. No, we hold on to those things, we work through those things, but we put on the clothing of the eternal, the clothing of the heavenly. Right? I, I coach uh, soccer at the high school in the winter, which I want to know whose decision was that. <laughs> Why is it winter? But we get out, it gets cold. We get in the 40s sometimes at night, and the, the one game after the other game, and the sun is down, and the lights come on, and everybody thinks it's great. The players are running around. People in the stands, they got jackets and blankets and the whole thing. But I found that the worst position for a person is to be coach because you're standing on the sideline and there's no activity, no blood flow. Uh, 
I found that the, the best thing was not to get new clothes or different clothes, but just to add as many clothes as I can, <laughs> right? It's not that the clothes I had were bad. It's just I got to put on a, a third layer, a fourth layer, a seventh layer, right? And just, just you know, just stand out there. <laughs> now maybe I'll be warm, right? It's this idea we embrace all that faces us. Uh, not because it's comfortable, not because it feels good or it's easy, but because God's put us in a place to do something and we know it'll get better eventually. Uh, so we're not trying to discard anything or throw anything away. So, verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Can you say that with integrity? So we are always of good courage. No, wrong. Uh, let's be honest, raise your hand. How many people fail at that? Everybody, right? We doubt, we fear, we get frustrated. They don't do it the way we want it done. Paul says, there's a way to always be of good courage. Not because the current conditions are the way you want them or because they're ideal, but because you are working towards something better and you will get there eventually. That's hope. He never uses the word hope in this passage, but it talks about hope through the whole passage. Whole passage right? We are always of good courage. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by what? Not by sight. Another sentence. Can you say that in good conscience? I walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, nope, nope. I walk by sight most of the time. I'm really good. Well, I guess you can't really say good at it. I'm really poor at walking by sight. I mean, I do it all the time, and I'm not very good at it, but it's some, somehow I just I continue to do that. And Paul's saying, um, how about you try being of good courage all the time because you are walking by the faith of what could be, what will be, what is best, rather than, oh, the glass is half empty, or that hurt a little bit. Mm, rub some dirt on it and get moving, right? My kids hate that phrase, by the way. <laughs> they hate that phrase. Dad, if you say rub some dirt on it, I'm going to, whatever. Uh, yes. We are of good courage, verse 8. And we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord, ultimately. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim. To what? To please Him. Can you say that in good conscience? I make it my aim to please Him. I No. Most of the time, who am I pleasing? Well, how, what a mean thing for you to say to me. <laughs> right? Who do we generally try to please, though? We, we, we're self-seeking, self-interested, self-focused. And what's the one we never want to say? Self-ish. That's right. Absorbed. That one's, I think self-absorbed is, it hurts even more. I don't know. And we've got to get out of that pattern. We've got to get to the point where we're looking eh, that I might please him. Four, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Anybody like that sentence? 
No, no, he said we are always of good courage. Let me ask you, again, do you like that sentence? If you're always of good courage and you walk by faith, can you say that sentence in good conscience, feeling good about it? Hey, I'm going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and he's going to ask me, hey, what'd you do? Because I'm going to give you the consequences, the results of what you've done, whether good or bad. That's a reality. Why would you be of good courage if you heard that sentence? You have the opportunity to do good and get the payoff. You guys are so dark. <laughs> or are you going to get? Why do you assume you're going to get in trouble? Yeah, you see a policeman. What do you do? Why? Why? They're not here to get you in trouble. They're here to serve and protect, right? But yet we've somehow in our DNA, we've got this thing about everything, not just policemen, not just the judgment seat of Christ. Every, uh, oh, if I, if I go to the principal's office, oh no, principal wants to see me. What? Maybe you're getting a word. No? I'm sorry, Scott, that's not been my track record, right? Uh, we've got to get to a place where we can look for the good. We can be of good courage. Uh, if that were true, gosh, I don't even like if in that sentence. Since that sentence is true, what do I want to do moving forward? What do I want to earn he says I'm going to get some due, right? I'm going to receive what is due. Well, what am I going to earn in my, in my dues? Right? That could be exciting for you. I mean, what if, what if God were really real? Really real, not just real. Really, what if God was not dead yet? Was not finished yet? Was looking for active participants and said... Hey, we could do some things together. Now you want to show up at his judgment seat? Because now he's patting you on the back going, remember that thing we did? That was, that was cool. Remember how you were all freaked out? It wasn't going to work, but you tried it. I remember your first prayer. By the way, it was pathetic. <laughs> but man, look where we, where we went, where we got to. Uh, your judgment seat of Christ could be an amazing, amazing experience. So be of good courage. Amen? Therefore, if this is all true, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Whoops, what's that? I thought we were of good courage. How can Paul say, be always of good courage and fear the Lord at the same time? I don't like guys that talk double speak. Two sides of their Is he two sides of the mouth? Is he contradicting himself? What's the fear of the Lord? Maybe for Paul, maybe it's this, that he might miss out on the positive potential of what could be. Knowing the fear of the Lord, uh, yeah, he's got me going through th- some things, but eventually it's going to be amazing and perfect and eternal. And I skipped out on, uh, shied away from 
some opportunities where he could have done more or better, longer, efficient, uh, whatever appeals to you. You know he's going to cater the plan to you and what appeals to you, right? What, what, if, what if the fear of the Lord hovered around the idea of what, what I could have had and I missed out on, rather than when we say the fear of the Lord normally, what do we think? Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Like a pitchfork in there somewhere, you know. No, it's not just negative. The fear of the Lord is He's got things to offer, and we're rejecting them. The presence under the tree that you left wrapped and never opened. Oh man, why? I'm afraid that I'll miss out. Just a different way to look at it. I think the way Paul looks at it, uh, knowing therefore that we fear the Lord, we persuade others. What? What? I want you to. I want you to write this question down, maybe, and just hold on to it, and we're going to answer it a little bit later. What do we persuade others? What are we trying to persuade them in, right? He says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope that is known also to your conscience. What we are is known? Well, do you know what they are? The people in Corinth are supposed to know by their conscience who they are. I mean, you know, we're the only ones in the dark on this one at this point, right? Let's figure out what it is. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So there's something going on in us that's about our heart, not our outward appearance, and we try to dress up a little bit for church, but that's not important. Amen? Amen. Amen. So some of you, it's less important than others. Let me be the last one to, to uh, speak about fashion. Uh, and I love that. Why? Because God's grading something else, cultivating something else. We should be working on something else. Right? Now comb your hair and you know do all the other stuff. But in order to get beyond it and get to what is a heart investment or what's a heart service. Get to those things. Uh, For we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And here's the paper. Seminary paper. Remember I told you? For the love of Christ controls us. Love that sentence. I'm going to beat you up with it in a minute. Okay, in a good way, right? Always of good courage, right? For the love of Christ controls us. Can you say that with confidence? Love of Christ controls you. I want to challenge you that you might not even know what that sentence fully means yet, but you will when you walk out here, okay? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, amen? Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Amen. Uh, I I love this on so many different levels that I wrote a paper about it. Right. Uh, But he, Paul, talks about this idea that we suffer within the body, but there's an eternal thing that's more important that we're working towards. And then we reference, he references Christ who physically in the body, beaten, poked, stabbed, crucified, 
in the body, but yet stayed on path to what was the eternal and what was more important. Great example. He says, hey, if he can go through that, the lesser stuff that you're dealing with, you can make through make it through that as well. And get to the things that are bigger and more important. And then I... Uh, I love what he says when he really puts it out in as simple a language as possible. Uh, Christ died. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves. Self-absorbed. No more. From now on, we live for him who for their sake died and was raised. Uh, Why did Christ die? Did Did Christ die for your sins? careful what was the purpose of christ's death according to this one verse right don't get all theological on me and like reference other verses you know they're great verses and we'll reference them other days for right now i just want you to focus on this one verse but for him who for their sake died and was raised for what sake did he die he died for you, for your sake. It bothers me a little bit when they say, people tend to say, oh, Christ died for my sins. Mm, kind of. I mean, I get what you're trying to say, but it sounds so much better and I think is so much more appropriate when we say, no, Christ died for my sake. Love that. I think it's why we need to understand as best we can all of the ramifications that come out of the atonement. The atonement being the act of Christ on the cross and his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, and then his ascension. Because uh, I, I think one of the questions that you could write down and continue to answer for the rest of your life is this. What are all of the ramifications of Christ's death? Now, if we start having that discussion, did he die for your sins? Yes, absolutely. Did he die for you? Yes. Did he die for uh, an example of his power? Yes. Did he die out of obedience to his father? Yes. You see how this game gets played? And all the things that we can learn from as to what develops our character in our understanding of his character, that's the road to be on. That's where it starts to work. Uh, that's when we start to understand the love of Christ controlling us. I think. Uh, And I think I got verses to back it. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we no longer, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we tried to understand that, but in our own fleshliness, we we couldn't really get who he was. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if we don't look at Christ through the flesh anymore, then we don't look at others through the fresh flesh anymore. And that's what he's about to say in this next sentence. Okay, I gave it away before I read it. Here we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, what? The old has, behold, the new has come. Isn't that great? All this is from God. Who through Christ, what? Reconciled sin? Reconciled us. That's an amen. Reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of? Reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was? 
the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusted to us the message of Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be to God. Amen? Three verses, five times. I think you caught it. For our sake. For whose sake? Oh, we got more than one verse now. We're starting to get a pattern. For our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Does it say anything about what you've done? How bad it was, or what many mistakes, or how many times, or for how long? Is there any reference to any of that? Zero. How much weight does it carry? None. Why are you giving it weight still? You know, some of you uh, have, have, you have this disease that, think, that makes you think that because you have sinned, you are sin. You need to separate those. You know, we do that in the way we talk about people. We, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin, right? We separate it. Can you do that about yourself? You're, you are made to be the righteousness of God, that you might become that. Is that pretty good? I want you to understand something about this verse before we finish it, okay? Made him to be sin who knew no sin. You, you know, the implication in the Greek, if you look at it a little bit, is the idea that he didn't, he didn't just take on sin, like take it on and carry it to the cross and pay for it. He actually became sin. And sin was crucified or killed, ended and finished. Uh, to me, it's heavier that he became sin. So if you think that because you've sinned, you became sin, you're wrong. But even if you think that, the glory of what Christ did on the cross a little bit is that even if you thought that you became sin, guess what? Christ took it from you, became sin on your behalf for your sake, right? For the sake of us. And finish the deal. All clean. All better. All right, what's next? What's for dinner? Let's move on. Love that. There's no more to do. It's all finished. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? All right. Let's have some fun. It's exciting Sunday. The very top there uh, of your outline says control and Christ. The two concepts that we need to really get an understanding of that may be viewed as separate concepts. What is the concept of control? Who has control? Do I have self-control? Who controls me? Right. But then there's this, also this concept of Christ. Who is he? What's important to him? What's his character? What's he accomplishing? What has he accomplished? And I, I want to submit to you that Paul kind of sees those as synonymous. He's trying to take two things and make them one. Uh, uh, for some of us, we'd say, which one's more important, control or Christ? And, and here at our church, we'd say, what? And we, we try not to say one or the other. We try to say both, right? Uh, 
But look, look uh, what first first thing I want us to see is verse ten. Uh, that was that verse where it says that we must all appear before the judgment seat, and each one must may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I, I think the concept that we need to start thinking about in positive ways that make us think that we are always of good courage is that we need to live in both dues. We must live both the dues and the dues. Well, that's so confusing, Scott. I mean, can you just be simpler? I mean, gosh, now I have to think. <gasps> you have to think at church? That verse implies that there's dues for you. Things you should do, actions. Things he's called you to. Uh, freedom in Christ is, is much more than just uh, forgiveness and permission to be part of the family again. Once you're part of the family again, now we're doing family vacations and we're going to work on dinner prep together and someone has to take out the trash and, hey, we're going to go to the game. Right? There's fun dues out there for you as a Christian uh, in your relationship with Christ as you're being reconciled to him. Uh, there's stuff he's calling you to. I love one of the verses. Uh, it says, uh, to him who knows what he ought to do. Let's just stop right there and not even finish the, set, this, the verse or the sentence. That implies there's ought to's. Ought to what? Ought to do. And, and I think we get caught up very often in the don'ts. Well, I can't do this, and I can't do that. And gosh, there's the Ten Commandments. I've got to start there, I think. And then what else? We make up even some of our own rules that aren't even rules. I heard Scott say on a Sunday, he said this one thing. I think that means, well, that's not what I meant at all. Why would you turn that into a rule? I'm, I'm, by the way, my job on Sunday mornings is to share promises, not rules, in general. Okay, uh, I'm horrible at making rules, by the way. Anyways. Uh, you, you wouldn't like that game. <laughs> we get caught up in the don'ts rather than getting excited about the do's. And then, what about, I mean, just for motivation, the idea that he will give you your due for what you do. There's do's coming to you after you do your do's. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> I got do's coming to me for doing my do's. That's a lot of do-do. Paul, Paul's trying to get a stuck church with stuck Christians, finding excuses to stay stationary and, and saying, Let, let's get moving. Let's get moving forward. No, you can't do this and that and this and that and this, but you can do this. What if you did that? How about if they got help because you fill in the blank? Let's get excited about those things. What, what could your family look like? What could your church look like? Office. House. What could your hospitality look like? What, what could your social status look like? And I don't, I don't mean your profile on your social media page. I mean, when people think about you, talk about you, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to call her because I think she'll help. She's had answers before. You know, he came alongside me before. There are some great do's out there. 
Amen? That's why verse 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. We ask God for what are the things you'd like me to do beyond what I can see? And then he gives you something that's beyond what you can see. And you go, oh, I don't like what I'm seeing. And I really don't like the pieces I've yet to see. How can I move that direction? Well, we walk by faith. We try things that are supposed to fail in some people's minds. And God God doesn't know that word, by the way. God doesn't know the word fail. He only knows the word success. And he wants you to enjoy that and experience it. Uh, but you, if you win cheap games, how exciting is that? Great, you beat a five-year-old at chess. Congratulations. Right? If you beat somebody who you thought was better than you at something and you won, now what do you have to rethink? Maybe I'm better at this game than I thought. Right? Now I have to find greater competition. You know, what if God were doing that spiritually in your life? Uh, what if He is and you just haven't figured it out yet? How about that? He's giving you tough things that you think are a little not too much. And He says, Yeah, but we're going to be successful. Walk by faith, not by sight. Secondly, which love of Christ controls you? It said, verse 14, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ controls you. Uh, the love of Christ, Christ um, is in the genitive form there in uh, Greek, if that's a nerd speak. I mean, maybe one person will know what that means. Uh, but it's this idea, the love, um, of Christ. Whose love is it? I say the love of Christ. Who's, who's love are we talking about? Oh, Christ's love? Oh, really? Because uh, uh, Judy here has a love of Christ. When I say it that way, whose love are we talking about? Judy's love of Christ. Right? You, you do things just because you love Christ? Or do you do things just because Christ loves you? <gasps> oh, no. This is a hard one. Both. Fascinated with this verse in seminary. When I came across it, I went, wait a minute. There's a double meaning here. Which one is it? You know, one of the ways I stumbled onto my concept of both was studying this verse. It could mean Christ's love for us. It could be our love for Christ. Which one is it? <gasps> There's so many possibilities. And you study and you study and you read and you look at what's before the verse and what's after the verse and what other uh, things that Paul wrote say. What about different writers like John, right? What is his concept of Christ's love or our love of Christ? And I worked through all of it and, and could come to only one conclusion. We do a lot of things that control us because Christ loves us. Amen. And I can't say anything different than that. At the same time, with as much conviction, I need to want to enjoy doing things for Christ out of my love for Him. Well, how can you do those simultaneously? 
in God's economy, not understanding how that works is a light and momentary affliction. Amen? I don't need to know how it works. I just need to know how do I do it. And, and what's the one next step I can take, take in that direction? I love, love that it says that in that set of verses there. Uh, let's look at the last one. Uh, be reconciled. Be reconciled. Five times it made you uh, say out loud the verses uh, 14 and uh, 15. Excuse me. 18 through 20. Here, I want you to take um, your pen or your pencil and I want you to make an arrow that has an arrow at the top and then draw it down with the arrow at the bottom where you're going to flop some things. The verse references here for the second are, are meant to be for the third and the third ones are meant to be for the second. So uh, this one's 14 and 15 under which love of God uh, be reconciled is 18 and 20. Uh, we'll change it for second service, which makes my argument. You've heard before, so we won't make it now. Uh, you know what we're doing right now? We're reconciling. Oh, did he do that on purpose? <laughs> he says uh, Christ was in the world, reconciling himself to the world. Reconciling the world to himself. Uh, passive language, what he's doing in the past. Past passive, Right? Uh, towards us, active on his part, passive on our part. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the message of reconciliation. He said, be reconciled. Kata. You know the word? No? Oh, kata lasso? You know that time, last time somebody tried to get you with a lasso and you caught it? I caught a lasso. <laughs> That's what it is. That's how you're going to remember it. It's goofy, but you might remember it that way. It has nothing to do with the entomology of the word or anything. But it's this idea that uh, we're going to change something, and we're going to change something to a very direct detail. Change it back to something that is now correct, that was wrong. We're going to reconcile a bank account, and something's missing. Right? We've got to figure out where were those pennies? There's like $4.23. When you finally get it right, you say, oh, the ledger is reconciled. Right? The phrase comes originally from uh, the changing and exchanging of currency back in the olden times. And it's this idea that you'd, you'd have money, but, but Judy doesn't, she doesn't trade in that denomination, that style of money and so you'd go to a changer and you'd change what was of value but has no value to her and they'd change it into something that has value now to where now we can make a deal and i love the idea that we're being reconciled and we have the ministry and the message of reconciliation to tell people that they have value but we want to exchange it and reconcile it to where it works within god's economy and make sense of what their true value is. There's not this idea that we have no value. You know, uh, you can read some verses in the Bible and get a little confused on to, are you, are you just trash and rubbish and worth nothing? You know, next to the righteousness of God, well, yes, if you compare us to God, then yeah, we're worthless. But if you look at the whole of Scripture, what is your value even before you come to Christ? You are His creation. He died for your sake. 
that you might become the righteousness of God. You have value, but it hasn't been exchanged yet and reconciled back into what you're meant to be. What a great way for God to project how he cares about us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sin. No, for us. I have given you another verse to argue. He didn't die for sin. He died for us. Amen? And now I want to go back to that question I had you ask. Maybe first thing we wrote down, verse 11. We persuade others. So, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Persuade them of what? Be reconciled. Good guess. They said it five times in like two verses, three verses. Our job is to be reconciled and then have that message that you, yeah, you have value, but you've yet to experience the fullness of your value. And things can get better. And yes, you're under light and momentary affliction. And yes, you're in this earthly tent. You're going to doubt and you're going to be frustrated. But there's glory ahead of you. Do you remember a couple chapters ago, the idea of two types of glory? There's the big, eternal, never-ending glory. And you got a shot at that. We've got to be about that kind of thing. Really, that's what the Matthew uh, hurricane support is. We're trying to exchange some value get a message out there samaritan's purse trying to do the right thing we got a chance to help in a reconciliation process right how ironic that a country gets destroyed by water and what do they need irony and here we can come in and help them reconcile what's... Uh, does their country still have value? Those people still have value? Yes. But we need to exchange it and work on it. The same thing like uh, Valley Pregnancy Center. Had their fundraising banquet this last Friday. Took some pictures uh, of it. I think I can show you. There's a picture of our table. We are there with the... Let me... Let me I've got to get the names right. We had the Beckers and the Murrays. Uh, and then I... Emily was there, and Denise, and my mom, and we had a great old time. Um, it was so emotional that she can't even stay in the room. She's got to walk out. So. Uh, but then you get the screens up there, uh, and we saw stories, video presentations of women who thought they had no value. Uh, women who thought maybe their child had no value. And through the process of reconciliation and what VPC did, they exchanged it. They were reconciled. And you see this big picture of all these people in this room. They're raising money in order to continue the ministry of reconciliation. You know, we've got to find ways. And these are big ways for us to do it as a corporate body. But we've got to find ways on an individual basis to bring reconciliation to different people. Uh, be healthy enough ourselves that we're willing to persuade others and pursue it to the best of our ability. Uh, How could you persuade? Who could you persuade? And do you believe that you're valuable enough on your own already to be part of the reconciliation process of others? You know, the church gets off its tracks and forgets that that's what it's supposed to do. That's when it starts to die and, and become ineffective.
And I am not, let me just say this, I am not saying that about us. I'm saying this is the direction that we want to go, and we try to go and do the best that we can. Right? Matt and Tracy were there too. I didn't even know they were going to be there. But fun. Uh, amen? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for five reminders of why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that there are things for us to do. And we pray, Lord, that your love of us and our love of you would work in conjunction that we might be controlled. If you're here this morning, you've never made that decision. You've never reconciled to God. You've never said, God, I want your love to control me from this day forward. You're, you're experiencing the fear of the Lord because you might be missing it. You are missing out on all the ramifications of the cross. And the good news today is in one simple prayer, however you want to say it, you could be in. God says, knock and the door shall be open to you. If that's your prayer this morning, you could say something like this. Lord, I accept Christ's reconciliation of me from this day forward. And thank you for what he did on the cross. Thank you for his conquering of death, his ascension. I accept him as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for letting me in. There's two things I want you to do if that's your prayer this morning. One, I want you to enjoy it. Knowing the joy of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, of what can come next. And then second thing, I want you to tell us. Tell us what you've decided, that we might help you. Father, we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. And pray that you would bless it. Pray, Lord, for those that might give to Samaritan's Purse and the relief that that might bring to both Haiti and, and our East Coast. Um, but, Lord, we entrust all of it to you. Pray that you would guide and direct how it's used uh, to your end. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.